Hey guys, um, Adrian here from the Sound of Crowd podcast. Um, if this is your first time listening, um, this is the show where we speak with top Ghanaian founders, entrepreneurs, and creators worldwide with the aim of leaving you behind with meaningful takeaways that you can apply in your life, business, and career. Uh, for today's show notes, head over to thesoundofacrowd.com forward slash Johannes. That's thesoundofacrowd.com forward slash Johannes. That's J-O-A-N-N-E-S. Yes. That's thesoundofacrowd.com forward slash Johannes. Um, if you're watching the YouTube, please like, subscribe. Let us know what you think in the comments below in the YouTube or podcast um, description, please. And if you're listening on Apple, Spotify, a five-star review is very much appreciated. Um, I would like to welcome Johannes to the show. Thank, Thank you so you. much for coming, man. Of course. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Uh, it was great to kind of catch up in person, finally, at um, one, of the, one of the cafes in Osu. Yes, Cocoon. Cocoon, that's yes. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah always forget the name of it yeah and um of course before that we had the um authentic african interview you interviewed me on your youtube channel and i did i promised that i'll return the favor and here Absolutely. we are today here we are we just have some more happen behind the scenes <laughs> and oh my gosh what a day it's been just trying to record each day yeah crowd. but um it's been an interesting one but i'm glad that we're finally doing this interview so as i'm really, really happy to have you on the show just for you guys, just just in case you guys don't know, Johannes is an advisor. He's got over 16 years of professional experience helping startups monetize their digital assets and Fortune 500 brands to reach their target customers through online advertising. And he's always been going back and forth, you know, in, since 2020 between Sierra Leone, Ghana, etc. And he's also the founder of Authentic African. So it's a YouTube channel, but also more than that, it's a it's an e-commerce platform. And yes, so much more than that. But he, we're going to get into the, the whole of it. Um, so yeah, I'm really, really glad to have you on the show. Of course, you know, we, we met in person and yes. in Osu, you interviewed me and of course I'm interviewing back today. Um, yeah, and then also I think Ya also, we shout out to her. I mean, she did a nice intro, which led me to us having that interview and now we're here today. So right. Ya from Talking Ya from Talking Drums Travel, thank you so much for the intro. We'll leave a link below in, or in the podcast um, show notes um, of her website so you guys can go check her out. Um, so let's get straight into the show. So um, sure. just from your perspective, to just tell us an elevator pitch about yourself and Authentic African. Sure. So, um, you know, what I usually say on my YouTube videos is I'm an authentic American. Well, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I say on my YouTube videos, yeah. um, I'm a Sierra Leonean American. Well, first of all, my name is Joannis or Joe Hatagwa. Some people call me Joe. I'm a Sierra Leonean American living in Accra, Ghana, back and forth between Sierra Leone and Ghana. Yeah. So I'm building a house in Sierra Leone, have a business there, have my dual citizenship between the U.S. and Sierra Leone, but I've made a career and I live currently in Ghana full time. I love that. Uh, so that's a little bit about me. Um, Authentic African is a platform really meant to bridge the gap between the diaspora and the continent of Africa, specifically West Africa, where I spend most of my time. Uh, so I started by just sharing my story, moving to the uh, West Africa and, and dealing with some of the challenges that Wahala we talked about, right? <laughs> uh, but then also the good elements to it too. Um, and really trying to help people understand what it's like to make that move or to visit. Uh, and then ideally longer term, I wanna spend more time, you know, highlighting entrepreneurs, companies and businesses uh, so that people can start investing uh, their dollars. You know, especially black Americans who are looking for another place to invest their dollars. I think um, the continent of Africa is where it's at. And uh, I think we should be more involved uh, as opposed to the folks who are uh, the majority of the funders of, of companies here on the continent. Oh, absolutely. We should. I mean, um, there are some upsets of people seeing foreigners getting involved, sure. you know, like taking our assets or 
trying to convince us to, to take our assets or manipulating us to take our assets. So yeah. definitely, definitely, we should get more involved. And I think I, have, I think I read or I heard an article the other day where I think they sacked some foreign employees from a particular project because they want more Africans and more Ghanaians to be involved. Right. It's an interesting time that we're in. I think a lot of Africans are waking up to seeing the potential and the spending of the coffee. Agreed, 100%. <laughs> and, 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 bring, and Ghana's done a great job of bringing diasporans back, too. Mm -hmm. I came for the year of return in 2019. I'd only been to Sierra Leone, and I came to Ghana, fell in love, and a year later, I moved. Beautiful. I can't yeah. believe it. So the year return, was that the driver for you to move to Ghana? Yeah, so I, you know, I was with my friends in Sierra Leone the previous year, and shout out to Ivy Prosper because she had been working hard on the Beyond the Return and the Year of Return social media. And so there was a bunch of videos that had gone viral of non-Ghanaians in Ghana. And I was like, what is going on in Ghana in December that everybody's going to Ghana? So uh, a group of friends of mine and I, we decided in 2018 that in 2019, we'd come to Ghana. We didn't even know what the year of return was. We just saw the viral videos. And so when I came, um, I wasn't just here for, you know, Afrochella, Afro Nation. I actually went and met with a company I had been advising. Um, and they were working with Multimedia Group, which is one of the big uh, media houses here in Ghana. And so I got a chance to go to their production room, Joy.fm. I got to see them recording a radio show, their news. And I was really impressed by everything that they were doing. And it would, to me, it was like, this is the future that I can see Sierra Leone being. Um, and so, you know, after about a year, you know, some soul searching and some <laughs> deep thought and a lot of conversations with uh, mentors on the continent, people that I know that are here, uh, I made the decision in July of 2020 to move full time. But it, if, if it wasn't for that trip in 2019, I would never have considered making the move. Wow. So that trip basically kind of like gave you different perspectives of Ghana and it just kind of made you think, ah, oh, let me come and kind of live here. Yeah. But, 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 but before you came here, you've been you're spending time in Sierra Leone as well, wasn't it? Only Sierra Leone. I hadn't actually even been to Ghana as of yet. And so, you know, Sierra Leone is a much smaller country on the west coast of Africa. Um, and, you know, for us, you know, we, we always talk about the potential where we can be one day. And I know Ghanaians say the same thing about Ghana. Yeah. Um, but what was exciting for me was to see how far Ghana had progressed after hearing um, some of the developmental challenges that you might have seen 20 or 30 years ago, which I do see today in Sierra Leone. And so for me, it was really exciting to, like I said, to see kind of where we're going as, as, as a continent, specifically in West Africa. Um, and I knew that if I came to Ghana, you know, I would be able to learn a lot from this experience and do what I can to take what I'm learning and apply it back home in Sierra Leone. Um, and I fell in love with Ghana. You know, that, that one week I was here was enough to say, I'm going to move to Ghana. And I did. And I, I'm happy I made the decision. It's the best decision I've ever made. Wow. That's, that's, yeah. that's incredible. I've never really heard that many people saying that. Yeah. Just after what I've went through just before. <laughs> I just want to interview. <laughs> it will test your patience. It will. Um, it will. Oh, my gosh. It definitely will test your patience. And do you think, do you, have you, have you, do you, um, maybe I might say this the wrong way. Sure. Do you feel like you've been, you feel like Ghana has been a little bit of a sandbox for you to be able to maybe try out and test things out in Sierra Leone because that's also in West Africa. I don't know if you, I don't know if that makes sense. So maybe yeah. projects or entrepreneurial endeavors or maybe jobs that you've had here. Maybe you, maybe you're thinking, mm, maybe I can try and get this right in Sierra Leone. Maybe I could also consider Sierra Leone. I mean, I know Sierra Leone is a sec second or third home to you. Yeah. Or maybe you might want to be a bit more based out there than here, but you want to use Ghana as like this kind of sandbox. Has that ever kind of occurred to you? Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely, it, it, first, it was really just where is the easiest transition? 
for me. Like if I'm moving to West Africa, I have, because I'm an English speaker, I don't speak French. So it was, to me, it was well, Lagos. Speak as well. Yeah, there's, you know, there's the Francophone West Africa, there's the Anglophone West Africa. And when we're dealing with Anglophone West Africa, it's really Lagos, Abuja, maybe, if, if you want to do those two cities in, yeah. in Nigeria. Then you have Accra, right? And then for me, I also had Freetown because I'm Sierra Leonean. Um, and so what, what I, those are the options I had for myself. Uh, Lagos is a, is a bit um, stressful, we'll say. You know, it could be a stressful, <laughs> it's a stressful city, 30 million, almost 30 million people. Um, so very, very um, highly densely populated city. Um, and, so, and so I'd been there, but coming to Accra, it just it kind of was a mix of the, the two things that I really wanted, where it was, it was close enough in proximity um, obviously English speaking, culturally a bit different, but uh, at the very least, it was in the same general um, area in West Africa. And so there were some similarities, there were some similarities in food. Um, some of the infrastructural challenges are challenges um, that we all see, and Ghana has solved some of them. And so just learning from what Ghana has, has done to kind of progress in those areas, I knew that I could take some of that and apply it um, back in Sierra Leone. So there was a little bit of what's the easiest transition and for me right now it's Accra, yeah. and then also what can I learn from there and and bring it back home. Bring it back. So that's more of the thing. What can you learn from Ghana? You can go and apply yeah. in Syria rather than going to be in some kind of sandbox. Yeah, gotcha, yeah. gotcha, gotcha. All right. So I know you've been, um, you know, in the digital advertising space for quite some time. Yes, you've worked for e-commerce brands as well. Yep. Maybe maybe spin up startups. I think it makes sense to talk about the digital African gold rush. So right now we've seen a lot of businesses, a lot of types of startups come up from the scene. I think just before the interview started, you talked talked about FinTech. Yep. Of course, sponsored by Zuberi this season. Um, What's your perspective on this this gold rush, this digital gold rush that we're seeing in Africa, whether it's food, on-demand food delivery businesses, you know, whether it's like like Glovo, Bolt Food, whatever, to Jumia, which you used to work for. Right. To you know the you know advertising agencies, the companies getting involved. Yep. Like, what's your perspective in all of this and startups and fintechs as well? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I, I would say at least it's, in terms of the continent of Africa, there has last year was uh, there was five point four billion dollars in investments in twenty twenty two, up just a hundred thousand from twenty twenty one in terms of the total. Um, uh, funding amount, but there were a number of more companies that were funded. And uh, Africa is the only continent of the seven that saw an increase in funding. Ooh. And so, you know, Africa has always been known for its natural resources, what we have in the ground. Um, and of course, our human resources. We built the country of America, right? <laughs> so there's always been that. And I think um, now people are starting to recognize um, the minds and the businesses that people are building on the continent and the digital ecosystem. You know, we just crossed over 40% as far as the continent in terms of um, internet penetration. Wow. And so, you know, there's a little over a couple billion people, about a billion people on the continent of Africa and with 40% of them hitting the internet, most on mobile. Um, a lot of people, and that's why I think FinTech is so important, right? 33% of the uh, investment dollars last year went to FinTech because many people um, don't, they're unbanked, right? So they, they send money through their mobile carriers, which is not something we do much in the States. We use like Venmo, Cash App, things like that. But <laughs> the mobile carriers here allow you to transfer money between people. And my housekeeper actually uses it as a bank. She doesn't have a bank account. 
Yeah. Her mobile money account is her bank account. And yeah. that's a lot of people. A lot of people. Like the market people. women. And yeah. So um, I think people on the outside are starting to realize that these businesses can be large businesses, large scale businesses. And not only are they multinational businesses on the continent, um, but they could potentially be business models that can be applied elsewhere. You know, there are other emerging markets around the world in Asia and Latin America where people can apply some of what Africa has done there. Because I think as a continent, um, the mobile advancements have been a, even a little bit more than the states. You know, like I know people had cell phones and have been using cell phones for more things here on the continent than we did in the states. So true. Um, like the mobile money concept and, and <laughs> things like that. So peer-to-peer yeah. -peer lending, all of those things. And so I, I think the world is opening up to that and, and realizing that. Uh, and so, you know, Africa is benefiting. Um, we just need to do a better job of making sure Africans are part of that process of investing in the startups. Um, and more African, indigenous Africans are the ones running the startups, right? Africans. That's that's what we need Africans. to see. We need to control the whole... Like, yeah, the whole ecosystem. Yeah. The whole ecosystem. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's been incredibly... Um, it's been really awesome to see, you know, from, from someone who came from the States and I was into the whole Silicon Valley um, tech, you know, the two bubbles that I've been a part of, the, the um, you know, the 2000 bubble that happened when I was still in high school, but I watched it as it happened. And then, of course, there was another bubble that happened um, during the financial crisis. And seeing the businesses that came out of that and following how that went, you know, like all the social media networks that came between 2000 and 2008, and then the peer-to-peer -peer lending or peer-to-peer -peer, uh, renting services like Airbnb and Peerspace and all those things that came after the 2008 financial crisis, um, I saw and I was never able to participate in that. Um, just because most people who do have complexion protection, they, <laughs> tend, to, protection. they tend to be in the same group. It's a, it's a meritocracy, not a meritocracy, right? So that people tend to invest in people who look like them. True. But I did invest in a small startup at the time. Uh, some friends of mine started a, um, a streaming service. So I, I got a taste of it. Mm -hmm. um, and then I just, at some point, I don't know how it happened, I saw what was happening on the continent of Africa and I could see that it was the same thing that happened in Silicon Valley, but on a broader scale, uh, much more wide, widely distributed. So like you have companies in South Africa, Kenya, Egypt, Nigeria, all doing completely different things or even doing things in the same space, but different. Um, and then you've seen some exits, right? You've had a couple of unicorns, um, which is a hundred million dollar company. Um, was that a billion dollar? No, billion dollar valuation, right? So we've had a couple of those. Um, yeah, Flutterwave, Jumia, IPO 2019. Yeah, Paystack. Uh, Paystack was acquired. Um, and so you had some really big exits on the continent, and that really opened my eyes to the potential here. And so for me, it just made sense for me to be a part of it. One, to ensure that startups that I, that I meet with and that I get to know the founders of get access to the same resources that their counterparts get access to in Silicon Valley. Um, but then also at the same time to ensure that those people who are investing in those companies in Silicon Valley do know what's available to invest in here. So that's kind of what shifted my focus in terms of my career, going from advertising to now um, focusing more on advising startups and eventually getting into the investment space. That's really been the catalyst for that. It's like kind of just watching how uh, the continent of Africa has really um, become one of the premier places to, to invest in tech. I can imagine. It really yeah. has. It really has. Honestly, everyone's flocking to Africa and million yeah. dollars and the millions at the, at the continent it's absolutely amazing to absolutely see that yeah and um 
I think um, with, with what you're doing with Authentic African is quite interesting because, I mean, if you've got this YouTube channel, yeah, it's going great. And then you've got the social media, you've got the Instagram page, which is doing really well after 10,000 sure. followers plus. 50, yeah, 53.5 as of this yeah. morning. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. okay. I'm, I'm not, I can't keep tabs on it. You're the one keeping tabs on it. Of course, of course. But, you, but you're doing great in terms of yeah. like, um, you know, your online media and social media platforms. It's great. So, in terms of yourself, how do you see yourself kind of like getting more involved in this digital gold rush using Authentic Africans? It's a great question. So, um, you know, Anytime the word gold rush is used to describe something, I, I always <laughs> remind people of how income was generated during the original gold rush. So the gold rush, and for those of you who are not familiar, um, there was a gold rush in America. And um, there's a football team called the San Francisco 49ers. Their helmet is gold. So they're red and gold. And the reason why it's gold is because of the gold rush. And it was 1849. There was a gold rush. I guess some people found gold in San Francisco and everyone was flocking to the West Coast of America to go find gold. 60% of the income generated during that time was not people actually digging or finding gold. It was people selling products and services. Mm. So major companies that came out of that is Wells Fargo, which is a big bank in the United States, Levi Strauss, mm. which is obviously a big jeans company. And these companies came out of that time because they were providing services for everybody going to find gold. So for me, that is how I approach everything I do with Authentic African is, is, is being the bridge and providing services and providing knowledge to those people who are looking to, to find gold, right? So that's the investors that are looking to dig for gold, which is investing in companies and hoping to get a return. And that's the startup founders who are looking to start a company and hopefully get some funding, maybe outside funding. And so just offering those services in terms of like, um, being able to bring those investors to those companies and also being able to share those stories with investors. And so I see that's where I kind of fit in. So that evolved from the original state of Authentic Africa, right? The original plan for Authentic Africa was an e-commerce store in the States selling products made in Africa to Americans. Um, I had been going to Sierra Leone and I remember buying a mask that was uh, maybe equivalent to like $5. And I had my apartment, I used to call it a modern, um, I would call it African modern. So <laughs> I had like all the most up-to-date furniture and appliances and, and all the devices and things, but I also had masks and carvings all over my house. So you knew that I was African <laughs> when you came to my place. And I had a party one day and somebody asked me how much would I sell my mask for? I was like, I'm not selling it, but if I did sell it, maybe I'd sell it for a hundred bucks. And she's like, yeah, that seems reasonable. And it was a hundred dollars, I said, but I bought it for five. Was that a light bulb moment for you? It was a light bulb moment. So <laughs> that night, um, I had already had an e-commerce store that was focused on the cannabis space which I used to use, I used to use the, the gold rush to talk about the cannabis space because I was in California and California had, is the sixth largest economy in the world. And they, at least at the time, which is insane, huge right? A state, state. Huge state. It's a huge state though. And it just as a state, it's yeah. the sixth largest economy in the world. <laughs> and so they were just now legalizing recreational use of cannabis. And yeah. so for me, I wanted to provide services to those folks. So I had an e-commerce store, ran into an issue with Facebook shutting down my ads, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> So I was already thinking about what is the next e-commerce store I'm going to start. And um, it was that moment when I had that conversation that the light bulb went off. So I consumed some cannabis that night and then around three or four, <laughs> three or four a.m. that night. Hope or the next morning. This. <laughs> of course, it was completely legal in the United States, in California at the time, <laughs> recreational use only, you know, it's available at that point in time. Um, and so at that time, um, I started thinking about names for a business and I was like, what works and I tried African imports, um, American imports, and I landed on Authentic African. And I thought about the, the diaspora flag with the fist in the middle and the, 
red, black, and green, um, and just all the different things that kind of start flowing when you're, when you're in the zone and you feel like you found, you, you landed on something. Yeah. And so I launched the e-commerce store a month later. So that was January. I launched it on February 1st, Black History Month in America. <laughs> so there was a reason for that. Um, and then I launched the Instagram page at that time too. Nice. So that was, that was February of 2019. Wow. And that was the sole focus was to really promote the e-commerce store. And when I built the, um, the, started the Instagram page, I started thinking about how do I provide more value than just posting product pictures? So I started thinking about my feed and the things that I see in my feed that I find interesting that I kept sharing with all of my friends. You know, anytime there was a, a new president that said something like, you know, we're not going to um, sell cocoa to this country anymore. Or we don't need Europe anymore. We, we don't want aid. We want partnerships. All those kinds of things I would share with my friends. And I realized that could also be interesting on the Authentic African page. And I, and I thought to myself, it shouldn't only be about the e-commerce store. It should be about educating um, the diaspora and Africans about what's happening on either side. Um, and so from there, I started building that. And I still kept the e-commerce store. But I really started focusing more on providing value through Authentic African um, because I just felt like I was more passionate about providing that value. And so I did that for two years. Uh, and then when I planned to move to Ghana, a friend of mine already had a YouTube channel. And he was the one who really pushed me to start the YouTube channel. He was like, you talk a lot already. You don't, you, somebody can ask you one question. You can talk unprompted for like two hours. So I was like, okay, that's fair. Um, he was like, just watch me edit, you know, and so I could see how he edited and also saw how he filmed. So those two things are like critical, right? And then everything else you can learn from watching YouTube videos. People can show you how to do thumbnails and um, title videos and, you know, all those kinds of things. So, um, so I was convinced, you know, we shot 13 pieces of content together uh, before I launched my channel. Um, and then I launched my channel, the Authentic, Af Authentic African YouTube channel in February, of course, Black History Month of 2021. So two years after the Instagram page was up, had already had... 29,000 followers on Instagram or something like that at the time, I then started the YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, and that is really more focused around me and my story in particular to begin with, and then branching out to other people's stories. You know, I wanted to interview you about what you're doing, talking to people. Yeah. Um, and then I've also interviewed Ya, which is how we got in contact with each other because she helps people travel to the continent and she does tours and things like that with them. And so I, I like telling those people's stories because then you're getting another perspective beyond just my own. You know, when people see me out there, they call me Authentic African. I'm like, no, I'm Joe. My channel is Authentic African, right? It's really not my story. The idea is to tell other people's stories. And eventually, it really is to focus mostly on the startups and CEOs and founders of those startups because I really want to tell those stories. That's really the goal of mine. But I started with myself um, to build up a following. And then now we're moving towards telling the stories of these, these entrepreneurs. Okay. So, so it, it seems like... Like you, it not, it's not necessarily like you had this master plan. It's like things have been falling in place. Right. You? Knowing what you know now, right? We're in 2023 now, January 2023. Yeah. Because this is something that comes up quite, quite frequently. So, some people tend to say that they wish they started the YouTube channel before the Instagram. Yep. Because some people are not able to convert Instagram over to YouTube or right. to whatever it is that they're looking to, to get out of that. Sure. Would you, would you have done things maybe the other way around, knowing what you know now, today? Honestly, I wouldn't have because of how much work goes into a YouTube channel, right? I mean, with Instagram, you can repost other people's content, no issue. 
right? As long as you give them credit, then you'll be fine. Um, with YouTube, there's, there's a craft that you have to learn. And so I don't think I had the bandwidth at the time to do that. You know, it was, I, was, I wasn't in a position to really focus my energy and attention to it. Um, and the reason why I even started the YouTube channel is because I watched someone else do it and it showed me that I could do it. So, um, and I've had a YouTube channel previously and, and that was the reason why I stayed away from it. I had, <laughs> I had about 300 subscribers on my other YouTube channel and um, this was like back in 2010. And it just, the, the amount of work that it took, I was just like, you know what, I, this is not a platform that I'm really willing to focus on right now. So I, the one thing I would have done though, maybe I wouldn't have started YouTube before Instagram, but I would have um, maybe learned more about YouTube prior to when I did. Because when I started, it was learning on the fly. I had no information beforehand. I mean, I had a little bit of marketing knowledge. I had had a YouTube channel prior to that, but that was 2010 versus 2021. There's a whole <laughs> different world nine years later. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I just look, maybe at least doing some research and learning more about how the platform works. I think that would be the only thing that I would have changed in terms of um, the information I would have gotten earlier, but I don't think I would have swapped them though, um, just because the bandwidth wasn't really there. That makes sense. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. So at, at the time, if you had more bandwidth, you probably would have done YouTube first, especially yeah. if you had opportunity to learn more about it first. Because this is what I hear a lot of people say. That's yeah. why I asked that question. Yeah, very interesting answer. Yeah, I mean, you know, and and my other friend, what he noticed is like, what my if you stitch together all of my stories from every trip I used to make to Sierra Leone, they could have been one long YouTube vlog. Because mm. I would do like, here's day one. Today I'm going to take my passport picture for my passport, you know, because I was getting my dual citizenship. Or today I'm going to the bank to um, to register to open a bank account. Or I'm going to CID to do. Um, what they call your police clearance. And so all these things I was doing daily as like an Instagram story. And that was where it, it, like the, the light bulb clicked for my friend who already had a YouTube channel, Kels, by the way, his name is Kels, Kels Acosta is his channel. So he was the one who was like, you know, not that Kels, not that Kels. Um, and so uh, he was like, you know, all, if you stitch all these together, this could be a YouTube vlog. Like you're doing YouTube, you're just not doing YouTube. It makes sense. And he was like, you have, you have almost 30,000 followers on Instagram. Imagine if that was 30,000 subscribers on true. YouTube. You very, know, you could true. share in very the true. advertising revenue that YouTube is generating. And so that was the, that's what convinced me there. I was like, you know what? And I can probably reach more people by telling my personal story than just reposting other things. Um, and maybe not reach them in terms of the, the scope of the number of people right away, but really um, have a stronger impact on their personal lives by being myself and telling my story instead of just reposting other things and every once in a while telling something about myself. Yeah. And I, I have noticed that people are way more engaged, even on a, a smaller percentage of subscribers on YouTube versus my Instagram, they're way more engaged on YouTube because they relate to my story. And, and it's targeted at people who are thinking about moving to the continent mm. or who have visited and, and they find my videos through searches, which is on, where on Instagram, it's a little bit different, right? Yeah. Um, they, they, they're, uh, they're actively pursuing information and find my content on, uh, on YouTube. Yeah. Whereas on Instagram, sometimes it's on the Discover page, sometimes somebody shares it. So um, it's just a different experience and engagement with me on YouTube. So, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm actually really happy that I started it. If I, if I hadn't started it, I don't know if I'd be as fulfilled as I am um, being here on the continent because it, it's, it required me to go different places I wouldn't normally go. So I've gone on all kinds of excursions. I, I, if I don't feel like waking up and going on a house tour or something, I remind myself that there is somebody out there that needs to see this because they're trying to make a decision about whether or not they want to move to Ghana mm. or Sierra Leone.
And so it gets me out of bed and gets me excited. And I love going live. Yeah, it's yeah, very, yeah. very engaged with the live audience. And it gives me a lot of energy back. So, you know, I, I, would, I would definitely say the YouTube channel has really, um, it's, it's had a strong impact on other people's lives, but then it's also had a really big impact on my life that's, as well. That's really amazing to hear, yeah. man. Like, the hustle is not easy at all. <laughs> not, not easy. No easy, oh. No easy. It's not easy at all. Okay, let's, let's quickly talk about you um, um, quitting your job to move into Africa. So, yeah. um, what was that like for you? Like, you know, leaving the comfort of your well-paid job to come yeah. to West Africa. What was that like? Real, real quick, what was that like? Yeah, so, I mean, to be honest with you, it, it wasn't a, a, a decision that was made quickly or easily. Um, you know, it was something that took about six months. Um, right around my 35th birthday, I was in Sierra Leone. I was meeting with my friends, and they were all talking about what they were doing at work. And, you know, um, one person was working on an emergency response system, like 911 in the United States, um, and for outer provinces of Sierra Leone, another person was working with uh, doctors um, and the local people around Ebola response and just ensuring people were okay with the doctors that were there and, and really trying to help them. Uh, and, and then when they had, like, we were all talking about what we're doing for work and I'm like, you know, I'm putting ads on Hulu. You know? <laughs> and although that was really cool to have my mom now understand what I do for a living. And, you know, when she talks about it and when I would talk to people, they'd be like, oh, yeah, Hulu, I know Hulu. So that was great for my ego. But anytime I did anything on the continent, it was better for my soul, right? I actually really felt what I was doing. I felt like I was impacting something. So, you know, I, I, I came to West Africa in May of 2020, uh, 2018, 2019, 2019. By December of 2019, I knew that I was leaving my job when I came back again and then I came to Ghana. So I, I quit my job in January of that year. And so the plan was just figuring out how I was going to get to the continent and how I was going to generate income. Hmm. Um, but it took about six months. And, you know, I think every time I came to the continent, so really for me, it was, it was me seeing that there was also waste too. Like in, in my last job, I saw that there were like a bunch of tele, a bunch of prompters and screens for desks that hadn't been filled and weren't going to be filled. And I was like, how many people could use these screens in Sierra Leone, in Ghana right now? And so for me, I just saw like the, the waste and I just felt like I wasn't doing anything to better my people, which is really the end goal of mine. And so um, I had a lot of conversations, a lot of deep thought about it. And I said to myself, if I keep pushing it off for later, it will never happen, right? If I keep saying one day I'll move to Sierra Leone or one day I'll move to Ghana, one day I'll start investing or advising startups, it'll never happen. And so at that point, I just decided to do it. So I started advising companies in at the end of 2019 to kind of start that process. Um, and then I started applying for jobs in July of 2020. Um, and, and that to me was kind of the first step. Uh, but I, I knew that I was going to make the, I knew I was going to make the move. It was just a matter of when. And so, um, I had a few conversations specifically with a peer mentor of mine who was in South Africa starting his startup. And, you know, he and I had a discussion and he was like, listen, at the end of the day, you have to be there on the ground to make any waves or make any headway, especially when you're trying to shift careers. So he's like, you just need to move there and that's, and then figure everything else out. So as long as you're making money, just go. And so I was already consulting. I had a, I had a way of making income for the, from that year of, you know, the 2020, I always call it the pandemic year. So during that year, um, and so I could, I could do that from anywhere. So it was just like, why don't I just make the move and just make it happen? So, that makes sense. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So you, you realize that, ah, oh, um, you know, there's remote jobs, so I can work anywhere in the world. Why, why not just, do, why not just work from Africa yeah. and make and help to make an impact? Like my friends are making impacts. You know, one of my friends is, 
how can try to, to, to run emergency service, emergency response and emergency response, sorry, in Sierra Leone and other right. trying to do this. I want to, I want to cut off the action. I want to be in action and try to make an impact. Yeah, I love it. I absolutely. Love it. Yeah. yeah, I love it. And also, you know, authentic Africans also helping to do that as well. So yes, it's amazing how your, your skill sets, the job that you have, like the business, whatever you have is also without realizing it's also all maybe accidentally, it's also become that thing that's helped you to achieve that very purpose. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, you know, my day job, I spent most of my time, and you mentioned this in the intro, um, working with brands, helping them find their audiences online. Right. And so whether that's, you know, um, working at a company, which is the current company I work for now, where we work with companies like Al Jazeera and websites like that, or prior to that, working with a large number of publishers or websites all around the world um, in different capacities, helping them monetize their digital assets and having advertisers find their audiences. Um, I am also a marketer as well, having my own e-commerce site. So one actually helps the other. And it's, it was really interesting because when I first started working at, at Hulu, for instance, because I had already run ads on Facebook, I was able to apply those same principles and turn Hulu into a platform where people could do some of the same things they do on Facebook, they could do on Hulu. Because we would talk to uh, Peloton, for instance, which is, you know, that bike company. Bike company. Um, and they're used to, they would buy podcast ads and they'd buy like YouTube ads. And so they were used to a certain way of buying advertising and they weren't used to buying advertising on TV. And so Hulu was kind of the bridge between digital and TV. And so I launched partnerships that allowed Peloton to be able to advertise on Hulu the way they do on YouTube and Facebook. And that's only because I had worked at a, as a marketer with my own e-commerce store that I could see them as an e-commerce site, how they were able to do the same. Okay. So I was able to apply that to my day job. And then everything I've learned with working with different brands as a content person, I was able to apply that um, myself as a content creator now too. So, you know, thinking about... Um, you know, keywords and how do I title my videos and just understanding how to build content has come from the fact that I was always helping advertisers find uh, the content to advertise on to find their customers. And so both have really helped, you know, it's, and, and it's given me some legitimacy in one area while I'm still building it, <laughs> yeah. you know, like if, well, if who hired you, then maybe you might know what you're talking about. Right. And so <laughs> that has always helped me build my social media platforms. And I had a social media agency at one point in time, too. Wow. Um, I left that I left that back in L.A. when I was in L.A. Um, but yeah. So because I was working at Hulu, it allowed people to come on board as clients for me there. And so, yeah, so they they, they definitely work in, in tandem with one another. And I, I've decided since 2020 that no matter what I do, everything needs to be congruent. Um, I can't have to shut one thing off and then turn something else on at like after 6 p.m. Because I, I did that for so long and it's just too difficult to do. Stressful. Yeah, and I like to use one resources for the other, right? If I have a conversation with one person about this thing, I can also have a conversation about that thing. So like, for instance, I'm talking to a website about monetization with my day job. I can also talk to them about maybe interviewing them for my YouTube channel, right? Yeah, I love and that. so there's, there has to be some congruency and some, um, yeah. you know, everything needs to, to work together. Uh, everything that I do. So yeah, I love that. Yeah, just yeah. being an ecosystem builder. Yeah. Really, shout out to Emmanuel Gamma, who's who's really good at doing that. Yeah, and um, it just reminds me of a conversation I just had with um, Akua Nyami Mensa, and she was saying that um, you know, she's talking about how what she does as a subcontractor feeds into what she does as a leadership coach mm -hmm. and as a speaker. Everything kind of like feeds into you know each other, and it's always if you do have side hustles or you got a business or another career on the side. 
is always, I think it really helps to have something that complements one another so it can sharpen each other's skill set rather than just having to switch between one thing or the other. It, it doesn't become as useful as it should. Yep. Very, 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 very important insights think, for that for the audience to know. Sure. All right, let's, let's, let's keep this going. So I think you've talked, spoken about your authentic African, so I think I'm not going to go a bit more deep into that. Um, how would you compare working in Jumia? So when you first came to Africa, you yeah. picked up the Jumia role for yes. Hulu, whatever, everything's yeah. all smooth and gravy. How'd you compare it to, to that? It's a great question. So, <laughs> yeah, so I, I invested in Jumia in 2019 when they IPO, right? Ooh. And um, I actually told a couple of my coworkers, I was at Hulu at the time, and they're like, you're the Africa guy, right? Yeah. So that's what they would say. Like, you're the Africa guy. It's what do you think working. about this? It's already yeah. working. Yeah. They're like, this is, the Afri- this is the Amazon Africa, right? That's what they call it, right? And I was like, yeah, that's what they're calling it. I mean, I, I bought some shares, you know. I mean, if this is the Amazon Africa, and that's a big continent, 54 countries or 56. Um, so, yeah, so I invested. Um, and so a couple of people invested with me. Um, now, that's, that's a conversation for another time. Yeah. But, <laughs> but when I moved to the continent, I wanted to work to learn not to earn. So I needed to understand if, if I'm going to be an advisor to startups here on the continent, I have to have local context. I can't just only have my experience from the West and apply it here. Because although I can bring some new ways of thinking about things, I also need to understand culturally what's happening on the ground. And so the reason why um, I took the role is because they're in 11 markets and they're in all of the major markets across the continent of Africa. So I got a chance to build a network with um, smart individuals around the continent, people in Tunisia, Algeria, Egypt, South Africa, Kenya, um, Uganda, Nigeria, Senegal. So, and I'm missing some countries, but all around the continent, right? And so um, all of that went into consideration. Um, But when I took the role, what I learned very quickly was um, a lot of companies here on the continent have remote leadership. So although we had local leadership, they all reported to remote leadership in Dubai or in Europe somewhere. And so that posed a big challenge because they're not feet on the ground, so they don't know exactly what's happening in market. And so they were giving goals and making decisions from their perch on high, as I used to say, <laughs> in Dubai, um, but not having any real knowledge of what's happening on the ground in every major market. And the, and the bigger markets that they had, yes, but like somewhere like Ghana that was still an emerging market for them, they hadn't visited in a few years. And so they, it, it took a while for them to understand the challenges, the unique challenges that were happening on the ground. And so um, that, was, that was frustrating from time to time, trying to, trying to express those challenges. Um, and then just, just being honest, I think, Sometimes there's a level of complacency when you feel like you're not getting paid enough. And so many of the folks here um, were in that role because the company is a good brand name. But when they got there and they weren't generating as much money as they'd like, um, you know, that it led to some complacency sometimes. So I had to learn how to inspire folks. Right. And what I had to learn differently than I had in any other role was to be able to explain to somebody how doing this thing over here, although it maybe isn't listed in the job description, is going to benefit their bottom line. So, for example, I dealt with um, commercial folks who, who work with the vendors who are selling products on the site. And I tried to explain to them that there's a, there's a whole cycle here that you're missing. So if they're happy with their products, always shipping out to customers, no returns, um, no issues getting it to the warehouse and all those kinds of things, 
those people decide they want to spend money on advertising because they believe in the platform. If they spend money on advertising, yes, that benefits me as the head of advertising, but it also benefits you because you get a commission when they, have, when they spend money on advertising. But it took a while for people to understand how that white glove service going above and beyond will translate to dollars. And so I had to learn how to help them understand that and then show examples of it, right? So in a way that I never really had to do in previous roles. And okay. so that was something that I, there was a major difference. Um, and there was a little bit more micromanaging that I had to do for certain people um, than I've ever had to do previously. For wow. Sure. wow. I think that's one of the challenges in, in terms of like living in Africa or having a business or approaching businesses in Africa is that um, you try to introduce like a new concept to them. And sometimes you can struggle to get it around their heads. Right. But then you have to look at creative ways to make them understand. And once they get it, it's like, you know, there's just, everything just clicks. Yeah. And then the ball starts rolling again. Yeah. Um, I can definitely relate. And I've got friends that can relate as well. We've got agencies. We've got multinational agencies as well. They've been this, they've, they've been to the same place as well, honestly. Yeah. Honestly, they've been in the same place. Um, wow. <laughs> That's a handful, right? But, yeah. And of course, from there, you've been able to kind of like, Take that experience and local context, being able to apply it to other things. Maybe feed it back into authentic African or to Absolutely. other endeavors, or maybe your maybe your current role, where you're kind of now more focused on um, advertising for Africa. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. So the, the company I, I work for, basically, it's a multinational firm based in the States, and they focus on basically allowing a website to do what they do and outsource all their advertising to them. So, which is something I think Jumia should have done when I was at Jumia. It was challenging to, <laughs> to do all of, I, I was, I wore four different roles, like full-time jobs. I did those daily. That's right? crazy. So like I, I did strategy with an agency or a brand. Then I had to get the creative assets. Then I had to traffic them in the website. Then I had to follow the campaign all the way through. And then after it, do the reporting, right? Which generally is like four different roles, yeah. right? And so... Um, I'm grateful for that experience because I learned a lot, um, but that was a very difficult experience. And usually companies like that in the States will outsource it. They wouldn't put one person through all of that. And so uh, the company that I work for, they work with companies like Al Jazeera, Essence Magazine, websites like that, where they focus on what they do, creating content, and then they outsource a significant amount of the advertising sales um, and putting ads on their site to the company I work for. And so um, I, I saw, obviously, there's a market for that here on the continent. And it's, it, there's not a lot of advertising technology companies here. And so that is what I do now is, you know, part of my role is Africa expansion, right? I'm VP of business development um, and Africa expansion. And so that piece, the Africa expansion is what I'm focusing more on in 2023. Now that we've built a, a substantial business in 2022 in, um, in the States. That's fantastic. I think, I think your story is amazing because it's quite full circle on how you've come from LA to Sierra Leone and then now to Ghana. You know, you start something, you know, to kind of represent Africa, authentic African. And then, of course, you've even, you know, left your role and taken on roles in Africa to yeah. get a better perspective, to learn rather than earn, like you said, get a bit more into the local context. And then you've been able to feed that back into what you do of authentic African and also back into what you do in terms of consulting startups and businesses. And that was like everything that you've done in the past. I think you told me this at Cocoon. Like your current job is a bit of a combination of everything you've done in the past. Isn't exactly. It? Wrapped yes. into one. Yes. And I just find it so remarkable how, the, like you said, the universe finds its way of putting all the pieces together for you. Right. And I'm just really, really excited on the journey you've taken and the future that you're going to have as well. And um, 
I find it interesting because you're talking about outsourcing, right? Yes. And I know Authentic African, I mean, with your media platform or your e-commerce platform, you outsource some stuff as well, right? I do, absolutely, yeah. So I am not the best editor for YouTube. I'm not, I'm not a great editor. So you, I don't think it's okay to say that, right? Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah, you absolutely. Strength, right? You have to know your strength. And so, and if you watch my videos, you'll know which ones I edit and which ones I outsource. Uh, so I outsource videos to an editor, professional editor. Um, I also have a social media manager, two social media managers. I have one in Nigeria and I have one in Sierra Leone. That's why there's no sleep. Oh yeah, so, so it means it's a lot of out-of-pocket of, out of expenses, but it ensures consistency and it ensures that I maintain that level of quality that I've always wanted to, because I would not have the bandwidth to do it. Absolutely. So, um, and then for my e-commerce site, I outsource this e-commerce site, I outsource that to the Philippines as well. So I have an, an e-commerce person that's been working on my e-commerce sites for me for for a while and so that allows me to be more strategic um, and they can just kind of handle the day-to-day -day and we can experiment and see what works and what doesn't work and we can try something for a week if it doesn't work try something else and I'm not exhausted by the process I can still just sit back and think about it and allow them to do what they do best and so yeah I mean I I'm really big on, on delegating to people who are competent you know and good at what they do um, and then, of course, I, you know, when I'm in Sierra Leone, I have someone filming all of my content. So she fills the behind the scenes. She also makes sure that the camera's good and everything so that I don't have to think about all of that. I can just sit down and engage with the individual and not have to run around like crazy because I know you, you know what that's like. I know uh, <laughs> I've, I've made so many mistakes along the way when I'm yeah. trying to think myself when I start the podcast. And then from season three, I said, forget this. I'm getting a team. But I told you, season two, there's one day I didn't press the record button. Right. And that guest was not happy. All I have right. is iPad clips to use mm. for reels. That was it. Yeah, because they don't so, want to sit down and do the interview all over again. Absolutely, man. Right. And yeah, I've right. had some challenges even on this season, which I never thought I'd see again. But hey, that's happening, isn't it? But we yeah. still love it. Yeah. The beautiful absolutely. struggle, as one of my previous guests says. Beautiful struggle. I like beautiful it. Beautiful struggle. Shout yeah. out to Cyril from Surfresh Media. He said the beautiful struggle. Okay. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Beautiful Fantastic. struggle. Joannans, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Um, what would you say your 2023 plans are? Great question. So, uh, real, real quick, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this year, so um, I'm relaunching the Authentic African uh, e-commerce site. Um, what's different about it now is instead of just selling products made in Africa to Americans, which I'll continue to do, mm -hmm. I'm also now working to import items from the U.S. to West Africa. So starting with Sierra Leone, eventually, hopefully Ghana as well, uh, and then also working on marketplaces. So I've met quite a few people here who sell like wigs, perfumes from China, from Turkey, from England, the U.S. Uh, and they only post on their WhatsApp status or maybe on Instagram. Uh, and so I want to give them one place that they can put all of their products so that anybody who wants to search for it can find it in one place. Perfect. And so uh, I'm opening up marketplaces for authentic Africans. So anybody who's a market person who wants to sell their products, whether, whether you're selling clothes made in the U.S. in Sierra Leone or you're selling clothes made in Turkey in Nigeria, you can have AuthenticAfrican.com slash the name of your business and you have your own marketplace store where you can house all of your products. And so you handle the logistics and all of that. You just, the person can just uh, uh, purchase the product from my site. And of course, I just take a small fee for each transaction, and like the Amazon model, basically. Clever. Middle um, man, middleman. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and really just, and it's giving them an opportunity to display their products on a broader platform too, yeah. you know? Uh, because I, I noticed that with every single one of them that I talk to, it's exhausting to post over and over again on a WhatsApp status. It's not a good use of energy. Yeah, so if you could put it all in one place, and it's easier to find too. 
um, instead of searching through all their albums, when somebody says, where's that outfit that I looked at the <laughs> other day? You could just go, okay, just search yeah. for it on AuthenticAfrican.com slash your company name. So that's, that's one thing that I'm doing. Uh, the imports is the other. Uh, and then beyond that, really just moving to doing more content about the continent overall, instead of just my personal experiences like here. The content net. Content, yeah, exactly. Uh, so that's the idea: is is expanding um, into other uh, businesses, but but keeping it a part of the authentic African business. Not getting outside of what I know or what I can do. I don't want to get too far ahead of my skis. I just want to expand what I'm currently doing. I like that. You just stick into your strengths. Again, what we said before. Absolutely. John, it's been a fantastic conversation. Where can people find you? All right. So you can find me on Instagram. It's at, uh, at authentic underscore African. And on YouTube, it's just authentic African. You'll see the Pan-African flag looks like a stamp of approval with a fist in the middle. You'll know it when you see it. Fantastic. Okay, and then you have it, guys. Johannes, how do I pronounce your surname? Hotagua. Hotagua, yes. Hotagua. Yes, got it right. Johannes Hotagua. He is, of course, the founder of Authentic African, and he's also a digital advertiser and a digital expert. Let's just say that. So I will leave all of the links, references, nuggets to our conversation below in the podcast description or the YouTube description. Just head over to the soundofacquire.com forward slash Johannes. That's soundofacquire.com forward slash Johannes. That's J O A N N E S. That's it. Thank you for watching, guys. I'll catch you in the next one.